0: CRNA Club podcast, where we talk all things CRNA. As a practicing CRNA, I'm sharing everything I wish I knew when I was applying to CRNA school. I'm Sachi, your host and number one fan. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the CRNA Club Podcast. It has been so great hearing all of your ideas and the topics that you want to hear about. The podcast has really been an interesting experience for me, this is my first time doing a podcast, and I am an avid listener of other people's podcasts, so doing my own has been... (laughs) It's been cool because, you know, you want to be as good as like the other people doing podcasts, but then at the same time, like words can be very hard at times, (laughs) especially when you know you're recording. But I have decided to just take the approach more of, hey, this is a conversation. So this podcast, nothing's perfect, but, you know, this is really my chance to just go with you on your run and be in your ear while you're washing dishes or, you know, commuting to work and. It's been a real privilege to be able to just chat with you and get to know you guys a lot better. So anyway, if you have any topics that you want to hear more about, or if you're enjoying the podcast, or if you have constructive criticism, feel free to DM me on Instagram. And if you are loving this podcast, I would so totally appreciate it if you left a comment, left a review for us rather, and it would just help us get the word out. And make our podcast more discoverable because I am really doing this to pass it forward and to help you and to share everything that I've learned along the way. And I remember when I was getting ready to apply to CRNA school, like talking to a CRNA and trying to get the nitty gritty and get a peek inside of The real ins and outs of going to CRNA school and applying to CRNA school was really hard. And that was a big barrier for me. And, you know, I ended up finding a CRNA who so graciously took me under his wing and he became my mentor. He was from Hawaii. So I think he, that was like kind of my end because I'm from Hawaii and we had ended up knowing a couple of the same people, but we were both at UCLA Medical Center. So It was great to have that connection. He was like, all right, I'll help you out. So really this podcast and just everything that I'm trying to create for you is just really me trying to break down that barrier and just be more accessible to you to answer any questions that you have. So if you ever are thinking of messaging me or writing me an email or yeah, shooting me a DM just and you're hesitating, like, please don't. Please do it. Please reach out because that is what I am here for. There are so many unknowns about applying to CRNA school and trying to get into a program, and even you know committing three years of your life to to this huge life change that's a big decision. so please always available to answer any questions and happy to but anyway, today, I want to talk to you about some different things you should be thinking about when you want to pick a school. so there are over like a hundred and twenty. Programs in the United States—they are all doctorate programs, and there are a couple of different names that these programs go by: DNp, DNap, and then even like DNpna. There are quite a few of different names, but the difference in like credentials there kind of has to do with the way that the programs are accredited. I believe is what I've kind of discovered. There's not a lot of information out there. You by going to a DNP program over a DNAP, you are not going to be missing out on any anesthesia education. So, somebody asked me that in the past. They were like, Well, I want to go to a DNAP program because I really want that anesthesia focus and I don't want to, you know, I want all the anesthesia learning. I'm like, No, 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 no. If you go to a DNP program, an anesthesia program that's DNP, you are going to get, trust me, the same anesthesia education. You will still be prepared to sit for your NCE and pass. You are not at a disadvantage by going to a DNP program is what I'm trying to say. So that is kind of the difference between the DNP and the DNAP. The DNAP is, of course, only anesthesia nurses can have that credential. And the DNP is used more widely across the nursing field as it is a more broader terminal degree. However, if you are a CRNA with a DNP, you are still gonna get that heavy anesthesia focus. It's just gonna be a DNP. And a PhD, you know, this potentially could be an interview question. What's the difference between the DNP, DNAP, and PhD? Well, the PhD is really a educational degree. You would get your PhD if you want to teach at a university. It is really more for that education aspect and really heavy in the research. So that's that. Integrated and front-loaded. That's kind of the second thing that you want to be taking a look at now with All of the programs being doctorate programs now, that means you have to do a research project. Typically, these are group research projects. So you can breathe a sigh of (laughs) relief. You're not going to be calculating the statistical significance by yourself necessarily. Although maybe some programs you are doing your DMP project. So anyway, the integrated and front-loaded. So This used to be a little bit more applicable when programs are master's degree programs. You would, in an integrated program, start your didactic portion, which is all of the coursework, and then in that same semester, you would also be going to clinicals. This would be great for people who really need that physical reinforcement of information. They learn by doing. That's really what solidifies it for them. They don't mind not knowing every little nuance. Mentally or educationally, rather, when they're going to clinical, they are okay with that. So, I went to a front loaded program. And what front loaded means is that the degree is front loaded with the didactic classes. You are taking all of your courses, most of your courses up front, and then you are doing the clinical portion, the second half. So, however, a lot of DNP or doctorate programs I'm noticing now, by the way, when I say DNP, I really mean like DNP, DNAP, all iterations of the doctorate degree. What I'm really noticing now is that these schools are putting a lot of that research doctorate degree, those extra classes in the front. So everybody's sort of getting like a modified front-loaded program. So really, when you're looking at schools, you're going to see the curriculum have a lot less clinicals up front. However, again, the degree or the timing at which the clinicals start could be sooner or later, depending on, you know, if it's like, I'm using air quotes here, like front loaded or integrated. They're even doing like the first nine months online, the first nine months of virtual. Some like programs now are allowing you to work, whereas before... of programs heavily discouraged working. And now there are programs out there that are saying, yeah, we keep the first, you know, nine months online, seven months online. And so you can keep working because 36 months is a long time to go without income. And they know that. So you can, you know, live where you are currently living. You don't have to relocate necessarily to your, where your school is. And so that's a huge advantage to going to one of those programs. If you are able to succeed well online. Now, I do want to say one thing about that. Like when you start anesthesia school, depending on kind of that first semester or two, how heavy it is into the anesthesia. Again, a lot of programs are doing a lot of that research theory or nursing theory and research kind of upfront. So it may be possibly a little less stressful, although you're probably going to get some anesthesia classes in there too physiology, anatomy, statistics those heavy science courses, they will come if they don't that first semester. So again, with that partially online, you know, first semester or two, that could be a great benefit. However, anesthesia school is a whole nother beast. Now I just I remember reading about this like on Reddit threads and I then I remember experiencing it. So Imagine you're at your, you know, your first week of school and everybody's talking about their ECMO experience and their Impella and their CRRT and, you know, the swans left and right and just all these super sick patients kind of, you know, more or less humble bragging about how stellar of ICU nurses they were, right? That quickly faded. Like, day one in the afternoon, everybody's morales were like up on the ground. On the I'm not saying that to discourage you but what I am saying is that a lot of people formed study groups real quickly because they realized that we knew nothing that anesthesia is a whole new world so once you step into school your playing field it's leveled whether you're a nicu nurse a picu nurse or a cticu nurse or you know er you you kind of are all in the same place at that point so If you are one of those people, my point is, if you are one of those people who really needs to connect with other students and form study groups, and you like that, like, hey, let's let's meet up, let's get together, let's go over this. Like, if you like that, and you know you don't do well online, you probably should not go to one of those programs that does the first nine months online. So knowing how well you do online is very important, and that is something you can speak to. When schools ask you about it, if you know you are a stellar online course taker, then talk about that. Be like, hey, I just took three graduate online science classes and did awesome, and I thrived working and taking classes at the same time, and that's why I think the program is going to be a good fit for me, and I, that's why I think I'm going to succeed at this particular school. I did an interview, a mock interview with somebody a couple of days ago who, I asked that question, I'm like This program has almost two semesters distance learning online. Like, you're able to do that? He's like, oh yeah, that is like one of the top reasons why I'm going to this school is because I've just taken online classes and I do better online. That was great for him. Partially online, a lot of programs I think we're going to see over the next couple of years, I am predicting that they are going to be moving a lot of that beginning coursework online. Okay, so able to work. This is another thing that you're going to want to consider. A lot of people, I think, start off thinking, this is going to be a great idea. I'm going to work. I'm going to pick up a couple of shifts. I'm going to do my classes. It's going to be all good. I'm going to have the weekend to do a shift or pick up, you know, some overtime. In theory, that could work. And if you are in one of those programs that does that distance learning for the first two semesters and they're like, yeah, we we do this so students could work, it could. They may be putting those lighter classes on the first semester or two so you can work. Now, I wouldn't bake on this for all programs. If you have a friend going to a school where they're working, it doesn't mean that it's going to work for you at a different school because in reality, there's just so much information and a lot of studying. So. I think it's totally fine to consider being call-in, per diem, picking up here and there, but I wouldn't commit yourself to being in a position where you're like a part-time necessarily, definitely not full-time, because you're going to want to prioritize doing well in your classes and starting off on the right foot, because it only gets harder. And the more you fall behind in the beginning, the harder it gets towards the end. So While I totally think that, yes, it is so possible for you to work and pick up some extra shifts during the beginning or the middle of your program, I would not sacrifice your sanity and your stress levels are already going to be so high. I wouldn't like bank on it and put yourself in a position where you have to work because you, at a certain point, you are going to want to spend a lot of your free time studying. So that's another thing to, to think about when you're looking at programs is, are you able to work? What is their stance on it? And what are you committing yourself to as far as shifts go? So class size is another thing you want to look at when you're looking at different programs. Now, when you have programs that have, you know, 45, 50 students in them, that's tough. You, I can see, you know, you start to feel just like another person, just another, you know, I don't know. It it just, it's, that's a lot of students. And I think unless the school that you're going to has a lot of faculty, that might be kind of an interesting position. I'm trying to say this nicely, but you want to feel supported by your faculty. And if you're going to a program that's got like a lot of students, like to me, I'm not sure. Would you, would you you just feel like, (laughs) I don't know. You want, like, I'm thinking about my kids' preschool, and that's like, and it's kids' schools, right? You're always like, what's the student-to-teacher rate? But again, if you get into a program that has a lot of students, but you got in, I mean, like, yeah, that's amazing. Go to that school. But I'm just saying, if you have, you know, if you are so lucky and blessed and have worked just so hard to get into a couple of programs, that could be something to consider is... Yeah. Smaller class size. Good. You know, the faculty gets to know you a little bit better and they get to place you in clinical sites. That would be a great fit for you. If you want to do a rotation at this hospital, because it's a little closer to your family, a smaller university might be a little more amenable to that. Now, I'm not saying a bigger university wouldn't, but I'm just saying that you would have to talk to some students in programs that have a larger number of students in their classes and kind of see how they feel about that individualized attention, because really, at the end of the day, you are paying a school a ton. You are paying them hundreds of thousands of dollars, right, to be there. And you you're paying for your education, right? So you want to make sure you get educated and get the best clinical experience possible, because that is when you are going to be obviously learning the most and setting that foundation for the rest of your career. So another thing you want to look at when you're looking at schools is the attrition rate. And this is the percentage of people Kind of, we think about this as like the failout rate or the dropout rate, to put it plainly. And this this number is a percentage. And anything above ten percent, you want to be trying to figure out why is their attrition rate a little higher. This could be variable on the number of students they have. You know, if the program has five students and one of them failed out, that's that's a high attrition rate. So you got to take a take a look at the class size as well. But attrition rates can also give you a little peek into maybe, you know, do students feel supported? What is the school's policy on getting seats? How do they treat students who are falling behind? Are you If you're not doing well on your tests, are you able to go look at your tests, your exams after and learn from that? Are you able to get extra help? What does that support look like if you're, if you're not doing well? All right. The next thing you want to look at for your programs are your first-time NCE pass rate. The NCE is the National Certification Exam, and first-time pass rates are very important to schools. And so this could be kind of one of the reasons why schools get a little bit hung up on your test-taking abilities, why they might be some one of the reasons why they take keep the GRE around They want to see that CCRN certification. They want to see that you're able to study and pass standardized tests. So schools, many schools have great first-time pass rates, 100%, 90% and above. Schools need to keep, I believe, an 80% or above pass rates to continue their accreditation. All right. So the next and one of the most important things you want to look at when you're picking a school is how they calculate your GPA there are a couple of ways they do this. Some schools look at your cumulative GPA across the board, no matter what degree it was, if it was an undergrad or graduate course, just cumulative. They're going to ask for every transcript from every school, every course ever taken. So if you have undergraduate degree in something other than like another degree other than nursing, computer science, or say you started off as a marine biology major, then switched to nursing and say you got C's to start, that all gets taken into consideration. So that was a roadblock for one of my students because he did his undergraduate nursing GPA, his his under, not nursing, his undergraduate GPA, it's like 2.9, but... He, cause he, you know, he didn't take the first years of college, college seriously, but then when he got into nursing school, his nursing GPA was like much higher. But he also went back to school after that and got his master's degree as a nurse practitioner and ended up getting like a 3.7 in that master's degree program. So that made up for it. But however, the school that he applied to looked at his cumulative GPA and he had like a point. Oh, something as the cumulative. So, just like barely made that minimum 3.0 requirement. But you know what? Like, he spoke to the school, emailed them, developed a relationship with one of the faculty members there, and just continued to check in and be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've changed in the last six months and really stood out for a couple of other reasons as well. But he ended up getting an interview. So, It's not impossible to get an interview if you have a low cumulative GPA and you did a little bit too much partying or, you know, you're a little distracted your first years of school. That's, it's, it's many of us. The other way people calculate the, schools calculate the GPA is by the last 60 credits. This is great. These schools are great for you to apply to if you are one of those people who did not do so good your first um, year or two of college. The other thing some schools look at is just purely your nursing degree. The other type of GPA would be your science GPA. So this is your general chemistry, organic chemistry, biochemistry, anatomy, one and two, your farm, your physiology, your biology. So they're going to look at that science GPA and a lot of the school's Like, I'm looking right now, we're creating a CRNA school database. So this is kind of why this is all fresh in my mind, because I have spent hours (laughs) looking at every single program's website. Like, oh my goodness, some programs, I'm going on a little tangent here, some programs have very clear requirements, and other programs, you're like, I have so many questions. So a lot of the programs we'll look at a couple types of GPA. So you'll have undergraduate and science, or you'll have last 60, science, and cumulative. So each program is different. And they're not very clear on like, I don't know, some programs aren't very clear. So I've emailed a bunch and always Email the school to find out because you do not want to be getting in a position where you are working so hard to submit an application and they are like, oh, you just literally do not meet this requirement. So, do not be afraid to reach out. These programs are used to getting asked these questions, and if we ask them enough, maybe they'll put on their frequently asked questions little drop downs. The other thing that schools, when you're looking for schools, you wanna look at if they're requiring the GRE now. A lot of schools are removing the GRE from their requirements, but a lot of schools still require them. But yeah, if you can find schools that don't require you to study for the GRE, then that's amazing. So that is one of the filters in our school database is you can filter by whether or not your program requires the GRE. If your program, I took the GRE for my program, and which was Georgetown, I think. I can't remember. I also applied to Rush and Columbia and somewhere Northeastern. I can't remember if those other schools also required the GRE, but I believe Georgetown did. Anyway, I studied for that. You want to aim for a three ten, and I know that sounds high. Aim for a three ten, and what you're going to do, and if you go to the Club.com, I we have resources on G, like the top two or three GRE study resources there. And also a little tidbit about kind of like how you plan and how you can figure out how long to study for the GRE. Basically, you're going to take a practice test and that is going to give you your score. And then there's actually, I'm sorry, it's in our masterclass, getting into CRNA school one. So you can sign, I'll put the link in my bio, but I talk about it there where I have this chart where You take your practice test, look at the score, and then I have an empty chart that tells you how many hours it's recommended that you study to boost your score by X amount of points. So if you want to boost your score by 10 points, it's like you need to study 25 hours and create a plan off that. So that is helpful. But your first step is you're going to want to go ahead and take a practice GRE exam to get a score and see where you're at. The other thing you want to look at when you're applying to CRNA schools, of course, is the number of IC and the number of years in the IC that is required. And I could do a whole other podcast episode about (laughs) timing when you should apply. And if you don't have a year yet, but you're, you know, at the time of your application, you know, you're submitting your application, you don't have a year, but then by the time of matriculation, you would, like, there's a lot of nuances between programs and A lot of programs will say, yeah, you need a year by the time, like, when you apply. And some of them are just going to say, yeah, you need a year from, like, when once the program starts. But that wasn't my point, what I was going to talk about. So the experience, alternate experience, if you work in, like, the PICU or NICU or even a, like, if you're a flight nurse, because I found a school that accepts flight nursing. And I was like, this is... A gold line for anybody who is a flight nurse, <laughs> because flight nurses are dealing with a lot of the same critical care patients that we are in the ICU, and they are doing it with a lot less resources and thirty thousand feet in the air. So I know they probably don't fly that high, but whatever. Anyway, so when you are looking for schools, if this is to my Nick you pick you ER CCU nurses. You're you're non. Non traditional, your alternate experience, I call alternate experience, alternate experiences. You're going to want to, of course, verify if they accept NICU and PICU experiences. A lot of places are adding NICU and PICU back on the list of accepted specialties, and this never, this didn't used to be the case. PICU, I would say, is a little more accepted than NICU, but there are lots of like Corey, I follow her on Instagram, like Stone Anesthesia. She was a NICU nurse and like she is a great resource for people who are NICU nurses and she is doing great. So anyway, you're of course going to want to make sure your specialty is accepted. Now, there are quite a few programs out there that are very vague. The wording on their website is something along the lines of must meet Council of Accreditation requirements." and care for patients like on vasoactive drips and life-sustaining measures and stuff like that. You can look it up on the Council of Accreditation, but there's like this sentence that many, many schools just copy and paste and put on their website as the requirement. And it's a very open-ended interpretation. So basically, the Council of Accreditation is not saying you have to have adult ICU experience. They are saying you have to have Critical care experience with working with drips, vasoactive drips, caring for sick patients, cardiac devices, invasive lines, and schools are sort of leaving that, like, they're able to interpret what that means, whether that's NICU or PICU or flight nursing or ER. So some schools, you're going to see a phrase that says, these are the, like, these are accepted, which would be, like, medical ICU, CT ICU. They say, like, coronary ICU. Well, I say like coronary ICU, who calls it that? But anyway, cardiac ICU, trauma ICU. And then it's they'll say something like other alternatives, critical care areas accepted, you know, based upon like level of acuity or something like that. Like it's just like vague. So to me, that means, yeah, if you can show me that you are caring for very sick patients. And if you work in the CCU and you're caring for very sick patients, yeah, that's a yes for me. That's a yes. It's like, like, what is that? American Idol is like, that's no for me, dog. That's a yes for me, dog. So I would email the school and I would double check. I would not think, oh, no, I'm not. Like, that doesn't count for me. No, email them and check because chances are that they're going to say, yeah, if you are a stellar applicant and you work in the CCU, you can show me that you are caring for very high acuity patients. Yeah, submit your application. So again, moral of the story is email and ask if you have that sort of vague experience paragraph on your on that school website there. Of course, also the kind of last thing I want to talk about when you're picking a school is the prerequisites. A lot of nuances here as I'm looking through all these different schools and making this Hiller database, if I do say so myself. Some schools want them to be within the last five years. Some programs want them to be a graduate level course for your prerequisites. Some Say there's like a little asterisk that says like biochem may be substituted for organic chemistry because, you know, and then maybe you took biochem and you don't have to like take organic chemistry. Take a real close look at those prerequisites because there are some nuances there. And we have a list of graduate and undergraduate science courses that many students have taken. And a couple of people also actually DM'd me in the last week or so and added a couple more. But we have prerequisite course, science course, I'm blanking on the name, science class vault for you to download. I'll put the link in the show notes here. Take a look at your school's prerequisites because if like that's what our school database is going to be great for because if you can find schools that meet requirements and that you meet the requirements for and you don't have to take three prerequisites because you've got most of them, like that's going to save you three months per class of having to retake. If you have to take three classes, and if you're not taking them simultaneously, each online class is about three months long. That's like nine months saving you. So I will say that many students, we are suggesting to many people to take your prerequisites over. If you got to take a science class over, if you got anything less than a B, if you got a B minus, recommended to take it over. Now, this is not a cut and dry statement. If you have spoken with somebody at your program and they're like, no, that B minus is is fine. Like you got literally A's and everything else, except for this one course, which is a B minus, it's fine. Of course, listen to them. I would absolutely email your program and ask them to do a transcript review. Absolutely. I would, if it's going to save you retaking a course, I would do it in a heartbeat. But generally speaking, our recommendation is B minus and below. We would recommend you to retake it. Again, not everything's cut and dry. And if you're going to retake it and say your GPA is lower, By lower, I mean three point below a 3.5, which is not low, but for CRNA school applications, average 3.6 GPA of accepted students, competitive 3.7 GPA. If you are less than a 3.5, you may want to consider taking a grad. If you're going to take a course, take a graduate level class. Be like, hey, I am so committed. I really want to be in your program. I had to take organic chemistry over. I took this graduate level course. If you are going to take a graduate level science course, you will have to contact the university that you're wanting to take this course from. Usually you're going to register as like a non-matriculating student. And usually you're going to have to like email the nursing program people and kind of get permission. So even If you are looking online and you see these courses and it's like available to like nurse practitioner program students only, like go ahead and email them if that's like in your area and you want and the timing works out and you want to take that class. Because a lot of times they'll make exceptions for you to take it. But again, we have our science class full. I'll link it in, in the show notes here for you. So that was a very brief overview of everything you want to consider when you are applying to CRNA school. And the main ones I would want to point out are, again, the GPA calculation. If you are one of these people who, a nurse who works kind of in an alternate experience unit, they can pick you. Also take a look at that. Don't be afraid to email them. And then taking a look at your prerequisites. Actually, there's another one I want to talk about too, which is clinical sites. It's like a huge one. I can't believe I missed that one here on my list. (laughs) When you're looking at schools, think about let's try to find out information about other clinical sites. If you are going to be talking about in your interview or in your personal statement that you want to work in an all cRNA practice and that's a goal of yours and you're applying to a program that does not have an all cRNA practice like clinical site, just like be aware of that. Don't assume that all programs have all cRNA practice clinical sites. You also want to make sure that you're rotating to enough hospitals there's a fine line between literally rotating every single month and a fine line for being stuck at one hospital for like six months in a row eight months in a row you want to rotate around and see the way that different facilities are doing things but you also don't want to be moving around so much that you can never get acclimated i talked to somebody recently who said he was a student at a program in texas and he was like i have been to like a different hospital or the, the the hospitals he was working at, they were working at were so big and during their clinicals, that was so big. He never had the same CRNA preceptor twice. Like he was always introducing himself to somebody new literally every time he went to clinical. And that was really tough for him because, I mean, it made him super adaptable, but it was also tough for him because anytime you work with a CRNA preceptor, there's a period where they are assessing how safe you are and if they feel comfortable leaving you alone. So I'm sure he really honed his skills and being fluid and adjusting to different preceptors. But gosh, that's tough to not get to know the people in your hospital. And they're always like, who are you? But anyway, you want to be looking at the clinical sites. You're most likely going to be doing like your pediatrics and NICU and maybe even your cardiac and regional experiences. You might be doing that at those at like specialty, like different hospitals. Where they often get a lot of pediatric cases or get a lot of cardiac uh, surgery patients. So you might be rotating out for those. A lot of the times you'll kind of stay in the same place for your sort of general clinical experiences. Like when you're first starting, you might stay someplace for a month or two. Anyway, you're going to want to look at the clinical sites and kind of figure out how students are getting assigned to these clinical sites. And does everybody get like a regional, dedicated regional? experience where they're just doing blocks or are you kind of expected to just try and hit your block numbers as you're doing rotations that sort of thing so by blocks I mean peripheral nerve blocks that was a very brief overview and by brief I mean this episode is probably going to be yep 39 minutes way too long (laughs) but anyway CRNA school database is coming out soon I'm going to be beta testing it shortly and hopefully if you are listening to this episode like in the not so distant future (laughs) It's available for you to find your school. Anyway, that is it for today, and I will talk to you guys next time.